Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Schoolbridge Podcast. I'm Piers. I'm Maggie. And this is episode seven, where we're talking about the first week of school. I love the first week of school. I know it's summer right now, but I love the first week of school. It's. I think it's such an exciting week, thinking about, oh, what's it going to be like when the kids come back? What am I going to be like as a teacher this year? What's the first week going to be like? Yeah, we get so many fresh starts as teachers. It's like, obviously, you get the new year, but then you get the new school year, too, and you get to do a little bit of reinvention. I think that's like that's the best thing about teaching. Yeah. No, yeah. Not only do you get the the new calendar year fresh start, but every August, every September, you get to be a new you. It's exciting. It's exciting. So we've broken today up into six chapters about being super prepared for the first week of school. We've got chapter one, how to set up your room. Chapter two, your first lessons. Chapter three, community building. Chapter four, expectations and management. Chapter five is meeting and discussing with families. And chapter six is taking care of yourself. That's an important one. We saved the best for last. Best for last. So chapter one, room setup. I think that's a lot of teachers' favorite part. That's definitely the showiest part. And it's super exciting. We can definitely fall into a trap of thinking that our room needs to be Pinterest ready. If you are a Pinterest teacher, power to you. Your rooms are gorgeous, and I know that your kids love them. And also, there's no pressure for everyone to have their rooms looking that impeccable. You don't have to have like the whole theme set up, like, oh, I have a rainforest room, or I've got the rose gold decor. Every wall is an Instagram wall. Right. If you do that, you are crushing it. Yep. But just know that there's no pressure to meet that those expectations. Right. But in terms of your room setup, we should be mindful of visual culture, right? So just thinking about how is that room going to look and feel when kids walk in? Because that makes a big impression. That's the first impression for them. And kids really do look around and read the posters, see, you know, sort of what messages are around that room. Yeah. And think about the difference between walking into a room that that has some visual culture, has some good posters, has some decor versus just a room that has, you know, empty walls. Right. And again, it doesn't need to be perfect, but it should be, you know, tidy and organized and inviting. You know, it, it should feel good to walk in as a student. Yeah, it should feel like a space where you're looking forward to learning. Mm-hmm. They've just had the whole summer too. I mean, they're, they've already picked out their clothes. They got the fresh haircuts. They're excited. Yeah, they've got either new shoes or they've cleaned their shoes. Yep. They're, yep. they're ready to show up day one. Absolutely. Everyone's super excited. So just keeping in mind, you know, how does that feel? Is it organized? What types of things? things and messages and people do you have up on your walls. But then I also think it's important to make a note that you don't need to decorate everything. And actually, I always try and leave a bulletin board completely blank, maybe just a title, with the intention of putting student work on it so that when they start creating beautiful things as the year goes on, you have a designated space for all that great work. Right. You can just take off a couple of big pieces of chart paper Get a cheap border, put it up on the wall, and Mm -hmm. that's going to be the place where you put your student work. Yeah. Mine has a title that says, Great Work, No Cap. No Cap. I think maybe that's a little dated now. I might have to change it. But two years ago, it was super cool. (laughs) And it's a great way. Let's say that you have this huge wall and you're not sure how you should decorate it. Mm -hmm. Like a big piece of chart paper with the border on it. And that's where you're going to put up their first couple quizzes or their about us that they fill out. Yeah. Just know that it doesn't have to all be filled with you know, inspirational posters. Absolutely. That could maybe even be overwhelming if you overdo it a little bit. Yep. 
So that's something to think about for your room. And then also, of course, just the straight up functionality, right? Before the first day, before kids walk in, do you have the materials that you need? Do you have pencils? Do you have paper? Where are they going to put their backpacks? You know, all those things that you're going to need in the moment. Right. And there's, you know, you might be moving into a classroom that a teacher has had for years and maybe they they cleaned it out kind, kind of a hurry and the cabinets are full of stuff. It's okay to spend some time going through that, getting rid of things that you're not going to need anymore. But think about the high need materials that you need right away. Like, yeah. Where are the extra pencils? Where are the scissors? Where are the rulers? Mm -hmm. Where are your expo markers? Oh my gosh, yes. You got to have your expo markers handy. And then think about, you know, the backpacks. Yes. You know, are you a no backpacks in the room type of person? Are they in the lockers? Are they going to keep them behind the desk? If you have littles, you might have cubbies, you know, are you going to have their names on them? So really just thinking through how, how is the room going to look when it's full of students um, and anticipating anything that you might need to take care of ahead of time. Yep. And then think about, you know, the the foundational things you have to do. What's your seating chart for mm-hmm. that first week of school? Yes. And keep in mind, if you don't know the kids, when you make your seating chart and you realize that you got two best friends right next to each other, <laughs> it's totally okay to change that seating chart that first week when you get a little bit of feedback. Yes. And like, you do you, but I would advocate for having a seating chart. I think sometimes it can be tempting to say, oh, I'm just going to let them build relationships and feel comfortable and sit by their friends. And again, if if that's if that's your thing, by all means, but if you're on the fence, I, I highly recommend a seating chart. It just sets the tone of structure and predictability. Kiddos who don't know anyone or maybe don't have as many friends, if everyone else is choosing their seat and they're flocking together, that can feel kind of gutting on the first day. So it's a good practice, even if it's random, to just have that chart ready. Yep. And if you ever have a substitute come in, you're going to have to give them a seating chart anyway. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to just open a Google Slides and put in a square and then just copy and paste that same square and type in names. Yeah, and then you can move it to whatever arrangement your class is if you're in rows or groups or whatever. Yep, and that way when the kids walk in, they can see where they're going on the seating chart. And maybe one of the first things you do is you have them make you know, a foldable that has their name on it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to get to know names too. And when you have a seating chart, it's so much easier. Yeah, I also like to put numbers on my desk. I have a lot of kids in and out of my room all day, so I can't put their names on the desk. I also change seating charts all the time. But if you keep numbers on the desk, then when you do your seating chart, like you said, visually, you can also have the number. And that's a really good quick cue, especially for kids who might have a hard time with like spatial reasoning. They're like, I think that's maybe my desk. Oh, yeah, that's number seven. That's my desk. Yeah. Another thing on the seating charts, if you're going to do it alphabetically, know that there's probably other teachers that are doing it alphabetically and the kids will come in and they might want you to mix it up just a little bit. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yep. And then in terms of just thinking of your classes and seating charts and stuff, another thing I think is really helpful is to have a ton of blank rosters. Those come in so handy. I'm sure we'll talk about that later when the school gets going, just different hacks you can have with your rosters. But it's really nice to have that paper roster with you, especially when there's always moving pieces. Someone's schedule might have changed or maybe they just got added your tech doesn't work on the first day. What a nightmare. At least you can have your paper roster handy. Yep. Yeah. I like that. Just printing a bunch of them, putting them on a clipboard and you can use them for everything. You can use them for a quick attendance. You can use them for Mm -hmm. a quick grade. Yep. You made a really good point though. 
rosters are going to change that first week. Of course. So just know that if you are investing a bunch of time in, you know, maybe you're making decor with all of the kids' names on it, that could really quickly change. You might get a kid added, a kid might not show up, mm-hmm. but if you can do little things, like if you can have your seating chart on some quick tech that you can manipulate, like on Google Slides, right. that'll help a lot to really quickly change names. That's a great point. It's sort of a theme of the first week of school is like, be super prepared, sometimes almost over-prepare, and also be ready for things to change because they probably will. So we need to be really prepared and also flexible. That actually is a good segue into chapter two, the first lessons. Perfect. You were going to talk about, you know, what, think about over-preparing, like you were saying, but knowing that it's going to change, mm-hmm. but it's better to be over-prepared than under-prepared. Yeah, I had a coach once call it a watertight lesson, and maybe not every single lesson can be watertight, right? We know that. We know that we can't spend three hours planning every lesson. There's no way. But the first week of school, I would say, is a little bit different. I think that's important to have watertight lessons because you're setting the tone. You want things to run as smoothly as possible at the beginning of the year so that kids know oh, okay, this class is going to go like this. Like this teacher knows what's up, you know, especially when they start to get a little bit older. Yeah. I like having those first lessons and putting in the timestamps, mm-hmm. like rough timestamps saying like, okay, I want my do now to be about five minutes. I want to get through my intro to new material within 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm used to having 60 minute lessons and this year. I have 70 minute lessons or 45 minute lessons. Yeah. It just helps me keep track of where I am. But knowing that pacing gets all messed up that first week. Yes. A kid might have a great tangent that you want to go down. Yeah. And it's the same with the being flexible too. It, you, you might have your first lesson and you don't finish it. Right. Or, you know, if you finish early, that can be kind of scary. So I always like to over plan a little bit. Uh, That happened once when I was a new teacher and I finished about 15 minutes early and it was mortifying. It was fine. I filled the time, but you have that panic where you're like, I'm done. Oh my God, there's 15 minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. So over preparing. And again, knowing that you might not get to all of it, I think is a good, I would err on the side of that for the first week of school. Also for those first lessons, that's when your routines come in. And I know we just talked about routines and procedures in the last episode, Mm -hmm. but that's when you have to practice with the kids. That's when you get to be that warm demander. Yes. And day one, I think sometimes you can be tempted to go right into content to say, I'm setting the tone. I have rigorous expectations, Mm -hmm. but you'll save yourself time in the long run if you invest in high quality routines Mm -hmm. and you have the kids practice and reflect. Yeah. And you're right. You need to budget in that time. You can't, I would not say that the whole first lesson should be 100% routines, but you might spend 10, 15 minutes practicing a routine change. You know, you can be kind of fun and and add a piece to it each time, but I, I strongly suggest building in time for your routines and procedures in those first three, four, five lessons. Yep. Yeah. And maybe those first lessons, that's also when you can grade something really quickly and you can set the tone, let the kids know that, hey, you're a quick grader. And it can be it can be a short thing. Yeah. But it's nice to get something in the grade book right away, especially since, you know, kids all think they all start at a hundred. But if you can set them up for success and they can turn in something and they can get a great score, that just feels good for them. I love that. You taught me that and I thought that was such a good 
little teacher hack because it does set the tone of, oh, okay, I did that yesterday, right? And it doesn't need to be a big essay. It can be something small. But again, that immediate turnaround really shows them that you're you're paying attention, you care, and you value the work that they're doing on the first day or, or second day of school. Yep. I also like during those first couple lessons, after you practice those routines, mm -hmm. if you're a school that's really data-driven and you might have maps testing or you might have a spring test, you might have your your midterms yep if you can do a diagnostic in that first week just to see what your kids know see what they've forgotten over the summer i think that's a great way to get some data to just see okay this is what i'm working with this is the the reading level that my kids are at these are the different grade levels that i have here in my class or i'm really impressed with how much they they remember I love that. And you can frame it so it doesn't feel scary for them and tell them it's not graded. This is just for me to see how much you know. You can kind of pump them up about it. But that's so true because we never want to assume prior knowledge. And we also don't want to assume that they you know, don't know as much as they do. Like we need data. We need to see where they are or else we might be wasting time on either end, teaching down or teaching up because we don't know their actual level. Right. And there's a bunch of ways that you can sort of cheat on your diagnostic. Like we're not saying you should go write a brand new test, but no. you can find some examples of tests for your content area. You can preview it and then you can give it to the kids and it, it'll just let you know where they are with their understanding. Yeah, you can Google so many, you know, like for history, there are diagnostics that are all skill based. So how, you know, how well can they read maps and analyze sources and um, write short you know, responses to different types of questions, just to give you an idea of what you're working with for the year. Right. And you made a really good point. You let them know that this is data for you. Mm -hmm. This is just so that you can see how you can be a better teacher by getting some feedback on, on what they remember. Yeah. And it's also a chance to let them shine. Be like, you're smart. I want to know exactly how smart you are. Like, you've got this. Everything is about framing. Yep. And then another piece that is related to that just in terms of where students are really meeting them where they are, right? Is before the first day of school, we really need to know our roster and know if we have any students who have IEPs or 504s or any other type of learning profile that your school might use. It's, it's pretty important that we know that information before those kids walk into our room so that we can start meeting them where they are and serving them best that we can from day one. Right. We don't want to end up in that that terrible feeling when, you know, you have a student who has a learning profile and you didn't know it going in. Yeah. And like you gave them a reading check or you gave them a quiz and they couldn't get access to it because you hadn't had the chance to accommodate correctly. Right. And it's I mean, it happens. That happened to me when I was a newer teacher. I felt horrible. And then Ever since then, I found whoever you have to find whoever it is at your school, right? Who manages that and reach out to them. They're more than happy to help. If you're if you're trying to do something in service of kids, they're going to want to help you do it. But sometimes we do need to take the initiative to reach out to whoever that person is and say, hey, is there anyone here's my roster? Is there anyone I need to be extra mindful of? Right. It's great when you can meet with their prior teacher. Yeah. You bring the roster and you just say, just give me, you know, 
give me the background info on these kids Mm -hmm. just so that I can be better prepared. Right. And then if they have an IEP, you know, those are, those are legal documents. So it's really important that we have access to that as their teacher so that we can provide all of the supports that they, that they um, not only deserve, but also are legally required to get. So we've talked about room setup. We've talked about the first lessons. Let's talk about, you know, that first week and the first week does bleed into the second week. We know this, but this is your first chance to start building community. Yes. That's really fun. Yeah. I love the different get to know you activities that you can find online, but I think that's one of the best things that you can put up on your walls is the kids fill out some type of identifying information. Right. Right. Their favorite sport, their favorite color, what they like to do. Yeah. A really low level, like not scary. We're not going to dig into like big identity things, just fun getting to know you and let them get to know us too, right? Whether we have a short slideshow or something, but we don't want to jump in and ask them to share things about themselves if we're not going to do that too. So let them know a little bit about you. What do you like to do for fun? Do you have any pets? Things like that. Yeah, because it is a community. That first week of school, they're trying to feel you out. You're trying to feel them out. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to see what this new year is going to be like. Who are these new learners in front of you? And yeah. when you can just, you know, not only can you get the diagnostic data from their academics, but if you can get some of that data about who they are as a person, the things that they love, the places that they've been, the hopes and dreams. It just makes all the conversations better and it makes the whole environment richer. That's so true. And there are a million different activities. Uh, You know, you can Google uh, community building activities and things like that. Um, We have a couple of our favorites and some are tried and true. Some are a little bit different, but I love Zen counting. I don't know if this is a day one, but it's it's good for the first week. Um, and what that is, is just however many people you have, let's say you have 28 students, the goal is to count to 28, but they have to have their like heads down and eyes closed. And you can, each person can only say one number. So, you know, you would start one and then another person will be listening too. But once you say your number, you can't say any more. Right. And then if somebody else says the same number at the same time that you do, you start again. You have to start again. And it's really fun and cute. And it, it's it's a good community builder that's very mellow. It's really good if you have a lot of busy students. Um, and it's just it's just a fun kind of work together team builder. Right. It's no prep on your part. None. But, you know, the kids sit there, they they put their heads down, they close their eyes, and they have to sort of feel out the space. And, you know, I just heard somebody say one, but there's a pause. Do I say two? Yeah. All right, I'm going to risk it and say two. And, you know, it's the best when they make like a little mistake. They're like, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> and then they get right back into it. And yep. they want to accomplish the goal. They don't give up on it. They love Zen counting. Yeah, it's it's great. And then another one is just a good old scavenger hunt, right? And it could be a scavenger hunt, uh, a digital one if you have tech, or it could be a scavenger hunt within your classroom or within a certain area of your school based on whatever you're able to access. But that can be a really fun way to get students, unlike Zen Counting, up and out of their seats and moving. And they can do it in partners or groups, however you want to divvy things up. And then they're, you know, just working together to accomplish a goal. Yeah, the scavenger hunt's something we do with our science materials and the lab equipment. Oh, I love that. Just to let them know where it is around the room. And so they feel some autonomy saying, all right, you can go get the beakers, you can go get the forceps, you can go get the microscopes now that you know where they are and you have some autonomy over the the material in the room. That's great. So that's like a content 
specific community builder there, which there are a lot of those too. If you want to stick with your content for history, I like doing a get to know you using artifacts. So this is something I give them directions on day one and then they'll bring it in for day two. It's like their homework, but they'll bring in an artifact or two, whatever you want that shows other people something about themselves. So it's like a little bit of history nerd stuff, but it's still community. Yep. And we highly encourage you to get on the Google machine and look up fun <laughs> community building activities. Like you'll see two truths and a lie yep. is a really popular one. The straw tower is one that we've done before and the, the kids get really into it. It's competitive. Yep. The, Oh, you had a circle uh, with yarn. Yes. I love that one. It's super low prep. Um, one of my co-teachers showed me this activity. All you need is a ball of yarn and you sit in a circle with your kids and the, the directions are that you, you pick one kid to start or you can start and you just say something about yourself. And maybe I like football and anyone else in the circle who agrees with that, that's also true for them. They would raise their hand. And if I'm starting, I have the ball of yarn. So I'll hold on to the end and then I'll toss the ball of yarn to someone else who has that in common with me. And then they say something about themselves. Like I love to cook. Right. And then they repeat it, right? Someone else who has that in common, now they're holding on to their part of the yarn and they throw it. So by the end, you have this, this web, like this beautiful, messy spider web of yarn. And you can have a really cool conversation about, you know, look how many connections there are between us. And then I always have them lay it down flat and we take a picture. And it's also cool because they get a visual of people in the room who share something in common with them. So that's yeah. a really fun one. I love that one. I know in math, we've done the get to know my numbers. Yeah. Where you might calculate, you know, how old you are or how many miles you travel to get to school or mm -hmm. how many pets you have. How many pets you have. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there are a ton. I also like doing surveys as part of a community builder. This is more for me to get to know each student, but having them just fill out some information, right? Like maybe what their favorite class is, what class they think is the hardest. There's that classic, like something I wish my teacher knew about me. And you can, you know, change the wording to be developmentally appropriate. But I find that kids actually give really good data on those. And some of it is incredibly helpful. It can help you start having certain conversations with certain kids. I think that the, the something that I wish my teacher knew, that's a hack. That's a great, that's a great question to include because... A lot of times that's when kids will start revealing their most vulnerable selves right yes. away. And it's, it's a, such a safe place for them to do it. Absolutely. So yeah, those are some of the community building pieces that we've been thinking about. All right. Let's talk about first week of school. Kids are coming in. You've got to set up your expectations. You've got to set up your management system. Yes. What's your advice for that? So gosh, that's a great question. There are a million different classroom management structures, strategies, systems, right? And you might have one that works really well for you. Again, you can Google it and, and find a ton. But I think at the core of it, and you had said this earlier, is that classroom management and expectations in the room are actually all about relationships and high expectations. It's just managing those two pieces. Yeah, I like to think about it visually like a seesaw. We're on one side of it, you have strong relationships and on the other side, you have high expectations mm -hmm. and you want them to be in balance. 
if you're the teacher that has really, really high expectations, but you're not spending time investing in the relationship, it's not going to be balanced and you're not going to have a great year. You're not going to have a great first week of school. Same way, if you're somebody who builds great relationships with the kids, but your expectations are really low, you're going to pay for that later too. Absolutely. So make sure that you're investing in those strong relationships so that when you have those high expectations, they're supported by that time that you've spent investing in them as people. Right. I love that. So whatever classroom management strategy you want to use, whether you build expectations together collaboratively as a group, or I've seen teachers use point systems or dollar systems, whatever it is, choose something that's going to feel good for you and authentic for you, but keep that at the core. If if high expectations and strong relationships are at the foundation of your management approach, I think you're going to have a good year. Yep. And kids tend to be really good when they can tell that you're spending time trying to invest in that management and in those relationships. But just know that they're still going to push. Oh, and yeah. They're not pushing the boundaries really because they're disrespecting you or they're trying to be defined. A lot of times it's because they're just trying to get social capital with their friends. And they're kids. They're kids. They're going to make a joke because they want to make their friends laugh. They're not making a joke because they're trying to see, oh, how firm are you going to be with your management? Right. I mean, and every age group is different, right? So we know the misbehaviors. We know that middle schoolers are going to push boundaries and try to skirt the rules a little bit and crack super funny jokes. That's okay. It's it's okay that they do those things. They're kids. It's how we respond consistently, predictably, right, fairly. That's how you set that relationship, right? Not correcting a misbehavior is that doesn't invest in a positive relationship. That just shows that you don't have high expectations and that can actually sometimes get internalized to a kid that you don't care or you're not paying attention. Right. And that first week with with behavior and management and expectations, it might be great. Second week comes in, they've had the weekend, they're psyched. Know that you're going to still have to make sure that you're reinforcing your expectations mm -hmm. and resetting if you need to yeah. or reaffirming and using positive praise when you see the good things happen. But it is those first couple weeks that are really dependent upon you being consistent with your management system. Absolutely. And that's a great point. It's like these these are all things that I think we need to do the first week of school, but they don't end at the first week of school. And sometimes to me, I think of the first week of school as the first month in terms of establishing routines and expectations and all that jazz. It, it It's not just the first week of school. Right. And we you don't want to be in the situation where you start to let it slip and then you don't correct it and then a couple weeks go by and then all of a sudden you need to do a hard reset or a strong reset. Right. And you don't want the kids to think that they're in trouble or you don't like them. That feels icky. No, you don't like that. But just know that anytime you have these rules and expectations, try and put them in their terms. Try and put them in kid-friendly terms. Yep. And be that warm demander, right? Fixing behavior, correcting issues does not make you mean, right? The way you do it really matters and you can affirm expectations and redirect in a very loving way that's also going to keep the classroom functioning the way it should be. Yep. And if you can write out your management system or your expectations in your kind of first week plan, mm -hmm. that'll help you think through some of the, the kinks that are in your system and maybe help you see some of the blind spots you hadn't anticipated. That's a great point. We need to be crystal clear on our end before we can give it to kids. Yep. Yeah. All right. Chapter five, 
Chapter five is families, which we might not have all that much physical contact in the first week of school. Maybe if you have littles and you're doing drop off, but your relationship with families is a, it's a year long relationship and it starts that first week of school. Yeah. I always, I had a great mentor teacher just remind me that when parents drop their kids off at school, they're dropping off their most precious possession. And yeah. like it is a relationship. And the that gap between school and home is is bridged by the kid. Mm-hmm. And if you as a teacher can just send a kind email out to families, introduce yourself. Yep. See if you can solicit any info. And the same question that you ask the kids, is there anything that you wish the teacher knew about them? That's a great question for families too. Oh my gosh, yes. I've gotten such good data from that and things that I don't know if I ever would have figured out on my own or I may have figured it out in May. And so just, it, it's quick, but introduce yourself. Yeah, ask for any information. You could even send out like a Google form or something, but we really never want the first point of contact with a family to be negative. And there are times during the school year where we might need to reach out to a family for constructive support. And so it's it's nice to reach out early, be proactive, you know, um, just kind of start that relationship on a really good note. Yep. And we totally get it that every teacher is in a different situation. You yes. might have a self-contained classroom with 30 kids mm-hmm. and it's easier to send a personal email to all of your families, or you might be a teacher that has a hundred kids. Right. And so you send a mass email to all of your families with a Google form, but some part of it there, you're introducing yourself. Yeah. And usually pretty quickly after that, you have back to school night. It's nice if you've already had that point of contact. That's a great point. Because I guarantee when the kids get in the car after school or when they get home and the parents ask, what's your teacher like? It's nice if they can have some relationship with you as well mm-hmm. when the kid is saying like, oh, I love my science teacher or my history teacher is great or I think math is going to be really tough this year. Yeah. You want those families to know who you are. Absolutely. So however you want to do it, you're so right. Everyone has totally different situations. Whatever is going to work for you and feel good and not overly daunting, do that. But if you can, try to establish that relationship on a positive note as soon as possible. Yep. All right. Let's talk about chapter six, the final chapter. Yes. Taking care of ourselves. It's the first (laughs) week of school and there's nothing, there's no tired, like teacher tired after that first and that second week. Oh my goodness. No. And I think part of it is just physical. Those days are long and demanding and we've been you know, on summer or maybe in service, but still that's not the same. And then some of it is just, we're like so excited that then there's almost like a crash at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. It's totally cool if that Friday after that first week of school, (laughs) maybe you only have a two day week, maybe you have a five day week, but totally cool if you're going to bed at eight o'clock that Friday. Oh, seven o'clock. Seven (laughs) o'clock. But try to budget things in that week. Again, try to be proactive about taking care of yourself, you know, and try and have really good meals planned. Make sure you're eating well. Make sure you're drinking water. I know that sounds like such a simple thing, but we're talking a ton. We're on our feet. We're moving around. And that can be a little thing. You know, get yourself a new cute water bottle or something. Yeah. You know? Right. You're not used to talking for, you know, four, five, six hours for that day. Right. 
And yeah, you've been on summer vacation. You've been relaxing. Yeah. Plan rest if you need to go to bed early. Um, I mean, you know yourself. Do what's going to make you feel good. Plan play if that's going to help. If you have a pet, you know, maybe take them to the park or go for a walk. If seeing friends really fills your cup, you know, whatever it is that's going to make you feel good. We are always the most important person in our relationships in life, right? We have to take care of ourselves. We have to keep ourselves full so that we can properly care for our students and our colleagues and our families. So make that a priority from the very beginning and set that tone for the school year that you are going to prioritize yourself. Yeah, I remember when I was in new teacher training, they told us, if it's the weekend, Try and take one day where you actually don't do any teacher work. Mm -hmm. And it can be tough, especially mm -hmm. if it's your first couple <laughs> years and you just had the first week of school and you feel like you're already having to redo your management plan. You're already redoing your seating chart. You're planning for next week. Yeah. Like if you wake up Saturday and you're at a coffee shop and you're working and then you do the same thing Sunday and then you have a five-day week. You're going to be exhausted. Right. You're going to hit burnout so quickly, you know, and that's a great point of I, I fall into that trap of wanting to keep pushing through. I'm like, well, I just need to do this. I just need to do that. But the truth is that if I take Saturday off or I take Sunday off, the work I do on the other day tends to be higher quality anyway, because I'm more rested. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're a first year teacher or a 15 year teacher, we all get the Sunday scaries mm -hmm. and and that's okay. It's okay. You there's, know? there's nothing wrong with that. We just need to make sure we're doing things to take care of ourselves and investing. Just like we're investing in our room and our kids and our families for the year, we're investing in ourselves for the year. Yep. It's a long-term game. Yeah. That's awesome. Ah, I can't wait for the first week of school. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. Yeah. Let us know if we missed anything or if you have other tips that you love about the first week of school. And we will see you soon. Yeah. Thank you for listening to School Bridge. Check us out on the socials and we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye.